Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and we are here to celebrate all of the great things that Warlord Games makes, the wonderful games that we enjoy playing. And it is a very special episode because we have my favorite guest on for this show, a man who, if he wasn't there, we wouldn't be doing this, literally. A close personal friend of mine and the man behind Warlord Games, the Santa Claus of the Warlord Games podcast, who is going to fill our ears with all the presents that are coming out in the year to come. Of course, I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend, John Stollard. Welcome to your own show. How are you doing, John? I'm all right, Brad. Great to talk to you. Happy New Year and all that. Ah, you too. Many happy returns. It is great to hear your voice and to see your face, sir. I guess other people can't see your face, but I can, and it looks great. Thank you. John, Warlord has been on a roll. You guys have kept things going in the gaming industry, and that has been, as you know, I do several podcasts about the gaming industry as a whole, and it has been a hard time for many companies, but Warlord seems to have chugged along and done quite well throughout. You guys have to be happy that Warlord, sorry, that the UK is sort of coming out of a lockdown, and we're sort of returning to a normalcy, um, but you guys seem to have been fairly Teflon throughout this process to start with, right? Yeah, it's a um, uh, good observation, Brad. Um, uh, we've been successful in this in these rather tough two years because of my factory manager being a, a, a health and safety fanatic. Uh, he's been fabulous. He took it seriously from day one and put in schemes that enabled us to keep going. Uh, we'd close the whole factory down for a week when it first hit, because mm-hmm. nobody knew what on earth was happening. And uh, so we, 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 we then, he then worked out, we had to go to a double shifts so we could uh, thin out the workforce, you know, over a longer period of the day. So it was all safe for everybody and testing all the time and uh, all manner of um, uh, techniques we've used to keep us uh, at, go, keep us going at work and uh, and stay safe. And the good news is we none of us have come down with COVID from a work environment, which is great. That is. And now we're coming out of it. Uh, so uh, we're coming out of it uh, with some best procedures and things. Uh, it's it's good. I mean, it's been dreadful for so many people, you know. And uh, but uh, the one thing that is true, I've had an awful lot of emails from people saying how their gaming has kept me sane. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and it really has. It's been of great value, and so I know it's only toy soldiers that we make, but uh, it has done a, a lot of good to a lot of people, which is nice. It is, and it's one of those things, right? When when the world is grim, when things aren't great, uh, it's it's great to have a little escapism sometimes. And this is literally what you what you make is, you know, escapism into the games that we know and love to play. And when we weren't able to play them. Uh, Warlord did come out for some of the games with some great solo rules and also providing the miniatures that we could paint and play or to get ready for when we could play again. I know that once Melbourne came out of its big lockdown in November or October, um, I started playing bolt action again and it has been absolutely fantastic to get, you know, I've been just playtesting missions and getting things ready for different events that we have hopefully coming up in 2022 and it has just been so nice to see old friends and to push miniatures around the mm-hmm. table. And I'm able to put all those great models that I painted during lockdown on the tabletop and enjoy the games that you make with them. So it's been fantastic. 
Well, we certainly sold a phenomenal amount of paint during lockdown, uh, that's for sure, through mm -hmm. mail order. Okay, a lot of the stores were closed, unfortunately, but mail order, we could supply all those paints and glues and brushes. And people were finishing off armies that they've had in their cupboards for years, you know, and uh, and I certainly did the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's been good being uh, clearing the lead under the bed, as we say. <sighs> Some of us may never clear that lead, John, but... Uh... Oh, you should never get rid of all of it. If you see, if if, if you don't paint miniatures, you get ill. And, uh, and it's true. Uh, you can die from that. It's true. Scientifically proven, right? Oh, fact. Fact. <laughs> well, while we're talking facts, I do have to wonder. Now, you did say you've been painting a lot and clearing your lead. Now, what have you been painting? Because I've talked about it on a bunch of different shows, all the different things that I've been painting for and that I'm excited about. But people don't always get to hear your perspective, sort of the man behind the curtain. So the great Oz, uh, what have you been painting? Well, uh, I painted uh, a small Russian army for Napoleonics. Mm -hmm. as a sort of a large, two large divisions to go with my Prussians and uh, my British to give the French kicking. Um, and then I painted uh, a Spanish and Portuguese uh, army, um, uh, about 10, 12 battalions of those. And um, what else? Oh, and then Indo-Pakistani 1967 war, which is a bit specialist, but I can't help myself. It's, uh, it's when I was six or seven, that, that war was on and you could see it on television every night. Mm -hmm. So you could see these Centurion tanks and uh, stuff that you recognize from kind of World War II, Shermans going around everywhere. Mm -hmm. And because um, and we had to make models, because um, uh, the Pakistani and the Indian forces are using World War II kit. Mm -hmm. uh, the Indi Indians generally using British kit and the Pakistanis generally American kit. So I could just take our stuff and... Uh, and paint the models as Pakistanis and Indians. And uh, we've had a few games. It's been great fun. And uh, that's become a little obsession, a bit of madness. Because then if you're fighting anywhere, any battle, armored battle in um, Pakistan or India, uh, there has to be railways because tanks don't go very far before their tracks give up. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're almost always fought within, you know, 50 miles of a, a marshalling yard. So it's made me have to get some steam trains and a, a platform and lots of track and with, before you know you're seven again with a, play, a, a train set. It's great. That's so awesome. Lots of madness is Brad. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a little niche sometimes. If it's a particular uh, footnote or page in history, why not address that? Because as you say, Warlord makes the models. Why not? I've been converting plastic Warlord U.S. paratrooper models using the Project Z plastics to oh, yeah. do 1980s G.I. Joe characters to make a G.I. Joe army, but again, using Warlord bits and pieces to make something that is totally niche. I'm recreating my toy soldiers from when I was a kid, except in 28 millimeter that I can play bolt action with. So, Well, that's, that's well, yeah, why wouldn't you? That's great fun. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I've managed to do uh, in, in the last two years or thereabouts is I've been um, relearning painting techniques mm -hmm. and uh, uh, about doing speed painting because I want to get you know whole brigades of soldiers up. Um, um, my Napoleonic battalions are twenty-four men. Uh, that's how we sell them in the box. Mm -hmm. And I've got it now that I can paint uh, a regiment uh, uh, once I clip them off the sprue. That's it. So they're clipped off the sprue. I can take that, glue them together, put them together, paint them wash over them, varnish them, and uh, flock the bases, standards in, uh, in 
four hours, 20 minutes, I can get a battalion done. Wow. And they look pretty good. Pretty good. I, I'd be hard pressed to, to assemble a model and prime it in four hours. Well, the secret is, um, I remember doing. Uh, I remember learning it as a kid. I think I think my dad might have actually shown me how to do it. I don't know how he managed it, but uh, the thing to do is uh, um, on a Napoleonic soldier. There's probably six colours really. Mm -hmm. I start with the flesh, so you did hands, hands and face because it looks like a man then. Then you just dress him. You know, literally you know, uh, trousers are easy. Uh, jacket and uh, the thing to do is not worry about getting the, the uh, splashing it slightly on another color it doesn't matter because the last 40 minutes of what you do of that of that four hours 20 minutes is to uh, open up the six colors that you've used and just touch them all up and just 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 make the you know, detailed stroke where you've gone over the belt or whatever it is and that uh, completely uh, means then you get every line is straight because you now put it all on and you're correcting and it's so much easier to correct with one stroke of the brush than it is to do the, do it properly if you like yeah you get what i'm saying i do so it's it's, it's be be bold and splash it on and if, if i at my great age of 60 can do them in four or five hours i did a i did a portuguese battalion in five hours the other day and, wow. uh, and it looks lovely and uh, you know i uh, now i'm not shading everything i'm i am using army painter the the paint on shade mm -hmm. in the uh and uh, and then spraying it with a matte varnish at the end uh, but uh but they do look they do just look nice and uh mm -hmm. you know when you've got five battalions out there of course they look fantastic absolutely um, and having painted models on a tabletop is always better than having non-painted models or correct. not having models at all right correct i um, mean that, that is that is the end result it is but the you're absolutely right. The army painter um, shades are fantastic, especially when you follow them up with the um, the the varnish to sort of dull it down because they do have a, yes. that glossy finish. But yeah, they add so much depth, don't they? Especially they if it's the right colors and the uniforms you're painting are the colors that go. So that that makes perfect sense. That's great. Mm. I actually use the uh, the water-based one from the little dropper bottles. They do that rather than the big can, which big can's great, mm -hmm. uh, but it takes mm, twenty hours for that to dry, and I'm, yes. and I'm and I'm impatient. Yeah, and so I just use. That. And the humidity doesn't always work with that, um, as I've discovered with uh, some of my jungle Japanese. So, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. true. Well, while we're talking Napoleonics. let's let's sidestep, shall we, John, into uh, something that you are on to discuss today. Now, if we're talking black powder epic battles, something very big happened on Sunday, the 18th of June, 1815. And I'm going to let you take it from there. Well, it was um, the culmination of, of the Napoleonic Wars of 15 years of unpleasantness and frightfulness uh, around, uh, around Europe, in fact, around the world, but certainly around Europe. Um, and yes, it was the decisive battle where the Allied army of, uh, of the Duke of Wellington, with a lot of German allies and uh, Dutch and Belgians, uh, and Marshal Blücher in charge of the Prussian army, they combined their forces to fight and well, end Napoleon's military career and uh, the Battle of Waterloo. And it is, there's probably, uh, it's probably a battle that has had more books written on it. Perhaps Gettysburg might have. I think there'd be a, a, I don't know. I think there might be more books on Waterloo than even Gettysburg, which is, a, of course, an iconic 
three-day battle. Right. But it was, um, if you ever do visit the uh, the battlefield just outside um, Brussels, that's about 15 miles away, perhaps from Brussels, um, I thoroughly recommend that you should, if you're ever in uh, France or Belgium. Um, they, they have a wonderful uh, museum there. After years of having the world's most dreadful museums, they finally put some money into it. And it's an underground museum, and it's stunning. It's great. And... Um, it, it was a, it was hmm, it was a mighty battle with uh, you know uh, about seven thousand seven point perhaps two hundred thousand people on the battlefield if you include the Prussians. Wow! Um, uh, but in a tiny frontage, you know, you could, you, it's easy to walk the battlefield. You know, in twenty minutes, and you walked across it pretty much. So it was just concentrated carnage. It's uh, it all fought in a very small area, but it was a very decisive battle. Uh, the French didn't really recover from it, and uh, Napoleon then uh, was, you know, sent off to Elba, where of course he died. Oh, Saint Helena, sorry, he mm-hmm. was sent to Elba the first time and then escaped. Mm-hmm. Escape, escape. So, so they, we put him further out into the Atlantic, where he yes. passed away about ten years later. Uh, very well known battle, and we thought we'd take the opportunity to do it in epic scale, mm-hmm. uh, like the Arab American Civil War set, so you can recreate these enormous divisions and brigades that were marching and counter-marching on that on that field so we're very excited it's uh it's street date is today funnily enough uh no t- uh, saturday so two days is a street date mm-hmm. that's when it's being sold for sure and uh we've been sending them out like bilio it's uh been very exciting <laughs> trying to pack them all in time and send them out yeah, and there's a lot of different ways that you can pick this up. Now, I do want to touch back on the on the scale and just what that means for what you see on the tabletop. But it's really exciting. You guys have a bunch of smaller boxes to supplement um, larger boxes, but you also have the British Army that you can buy. You also have the French Army, or you have the the all in box, which has everything in it. Uh, I was blown away with what's in there down to the apple orchards are in that mm. box. Um, mm. So no, depending on how large a part of the Battle of Waterloo you want to play um, using yeah. this expansion to Black Powder, you can do it um, based on what Warlord is now selling. It is really exciting, right? That's right, Brad. Um, we set it up as an aspirational sort of game that... Uh, that perhaps you and your mates and your war games club say, let's do Waterloo. We've always wanted to do it, but you're never going to do it in 28 mil because you you need to school the school gymnasium mm-hmm. to lay it out in and things like that. So this means that um, you can aspire to do, if not the whole battle, let's say, let's just do the left wing or the attack on Hougamont or, or the farmhouse or the arrival of the Prussians. Let's do that. You know, so it's, uh, uh, I don't see, I think many people are going to do the whole battle of Waterloo but in their heads they are, that's mm-hmm. for sure. And that's what the exciting bit. Derlon, who was a, the French um, uh, general, he, he attacked up the hill with 15,000 infantry in uh, in 40 battalions. You know, and that's a massive force coming up that ridge against the British. It must have been a terrifying sight. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so there's 40 battalions on the right wing of the French army there. So you know, again, a war games club, I can say, well, let's do that. You know, let's let's do that bit. We can afford to do that between us all. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, there's the excitement there of, of of being able to fight those big battles. 
And not only do you guys make the miniatures, you've also teamed up with, I believe, Sarissa to have some of the great terrain that you would have there as well. So you really can sort of set the scene for the battle that you're playing on. Yeah, there were there, there were three critical pieces of terrain really uh, uh, to represent. So there's Hougamont, mm -hmm. which was a large chateau, big, big, a big area uh, with orchards and woods, and that was out on in front of uh, Wellington's right flank, and uh, and uh, uh, that was a, whole, a bastion throughout the whole day. The British, the British and the Dutch held onto that all the way through the, the day. Uh, then there's the farmhouse La Haysante, which is a famous, um, again, fortified uh, farmhouse, quite a large building. And that held out until about seven o'clock when uh, the German garrison ran out of ammunition, finally. They were using the, the Baker rifle uh, rather than muskets, and they just ran out of bullets, and the French finally stormed it and took it. And then finally, there was uh, Place Noir, which is a small village, which had a central church, uh, which is uh, on Napoleon's right rear, and that's where the Prussians came in and stormed in through uh, in through that uh, village when there was hideous street fighting there. And if you if you go there, uh, when I went there with some mates a few years ago, a few of the regulars took us into their cellars to show these bullet marks where they're fighting in the cellars, shooting at you know, three foot range of each other, and it's really quite spooky. That's crazy. And when you think crazy of indeed. Napoleonic fighting, that is not the mental image I get. No, and uh, at Place Noir, um, the guard grenadiers of the French went in to throw the Prussians out, which they did, and they gave the orders of no prisoners, and so there were no prisoners taken either. It was vicious hand-to-hand -hand house fighting, unpleasant stuff. Well, as we've said, you can now play that on the tabletop. Um, can you go through some of the great new models that you guys have come out? Because... As you said before, this isn't the first game with the epic battle scale. We had the American Civil War stuff last year. Yeah. And so this year, I mean, there's there's all sorts of things that I'm going to mispronounce. The Chasseurs, the Dragoons, the Carabiners, the Hussars, the Chasseurs, a Cheval. I should have done the, I should have read the British list, clearly. Um, yeah, and the Lancers, right. artillery pieces. We have brigade commanders. There's all kinds of great stuff. And I'm just listing down some of the contents of, oh, that is the British starter set. <laughs> Embarrassing. Um, there's just so many new models for this. It's really exciting. Well, the, well, the difference is when we did, uh, when we chose the American Civil War one to do because um, I thought it would just work well in that scale by doing all these models. As you know, they're all co-joined, so you get strips of 20, 10 on 20 men. So it mm -hmm. actually looks like a regiment. And that's uh, that's the great, uh, that's the trick of doing it this way. They look marvellous. Um, but with the American Civil War, as most of your uh, listeners will know, that both sides effectively wore the same kit. Mm -hmm. You know, a forage cap, you know, that sort of jacket and those trousers and... Uh, in, in the twilight, you wouldn't have a clue which side either was. Uh, and I also know that some Confederates wore blue and some Federals wore grey, at least mm -hmm. to begin with. So uh, so it was the ideal thing to try because we only had to make one mould. Right. And cutting steel moulds uh, costs a fortune and an arm and a leg if it takes a long time. So I thought, well, let's try that. So we did one mould, which gives all the infantry and the artillery. And uh, uh, so we cut our teeth on that. Now, doing Waterloo, however... 
Oh dear, the joys of Napoleonic uniforms. <laughs> Every everyone wears something different. It drives you mad. And you don't want to get it wrong. Oh God, if you get it wrong, there's hell to pay, mm-hmm. um, as we know. And and I'm, sometimes you have to make compromises. You just have to because you can't yeah. do everything and you can't please everybody. So, um, but what's great? We got the solid British infantry, but. From the British Redcoats, you can also do uh, King's German Legion and um, uh, and Belgians, just painted in blue. It's pretty much the same uniform. Um, the uh, A lot of the cavalry, we've got Bizarres and Light Dragoons for the British and lots of Heavy Dragoons and Lifeguards too. You can actually paint those up to represent Dutch and Belgian cavalry as well. So it's a lot of it is just how you paint the models. Exactly. Um, and uh, we just announced this week uh, the next lot of releases, which is Highlanders. So the, there were three three regiments of Highlanders at Waterloo, all in their kilts. Mm-hmm. And uh, our, our figure painters painted the three different tartans as well, which is madness. That is but crazy. It great. But it looks so good. And uh, and on that sprue also is some uh, the famous 95th rifles of sharp fame. Um, we did those first of all in the, in the on the main set. We did them ranked up together because there were three battalions of the 95th at Waterloo, and two of them did nothing all day apart from being square and in line or in column. They never broke into skirmish lines. They weren't skirmishing. They were petrified by French cavalry running everywhere. You wouldn't want to be skirmishing anywhere near them. Mm. So only one of the battalions did any any skirmishing. But in this Highlander box set, we've got some riflemen skirmishing, so you can play your sharp guys there. So people are much happier now those got out. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, and just to have skirmishers in that scale, too, that's wild. Oh, it looks lovely. It Mm. does look lovely. Because we did the French, uh, they like troops skirmishing. They look very splendid. Now, we're just working on the Prussians. We're just putting the Prussians to bed at the moment. So they will be coming out in in two or three months' time, Mm -hmm. just in time to win the battle for the Allies, just like the real battle. Mm -hmm. So the Prussians are looking very grim. They've got two sorts of infantry, the the line infantry and the reservists, the land there, and they're looking very, very good. So uh, that's exciting. So save some of your money for some Prussians. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you guys will have some some smaller releases dripped in in the middle as well, just to keep yes. us on our toes. There are, are some things that you can, just can't tool up in uh, in plastic. It's just too expensive. For mm-hmm. instance, we're going to put out uh, a pack of generals. So you'll have Wellington and Picton and uh, three of the other, and Napoleon and uh, Ney. And they'll be done in Warlord resin. And so will things like gun limbers and uh, probably the uh, French Imperial Guard cavalry. There were five regiments of those and each of them had a different bloody uniform so um so again it's so difficult to you can't really do those in plastic without spending a fortune so we'll be doing those in resin and uh uh, so rest assured that if you've um you you will be able to get everything for waterloo uh it will keep adding to it the the odd strange thing that were there there's one unit of these guys uh, whatever We'll, we'll do them all brilliant brilliant well I did have a a question from a fan, and I would like to throw it your way because I know that a few people listening to this will probably also have the same question. Now, if someone already has the Black Powder rulebook, when they're looking to get into this epic scale battle uh, and the new models for this, is there an additional book for Waterloo or how do people get the specific rules for that? Um. You can just, I mean, you could cheerfully play uh, um, in the epic 
uh, Waterloo uh, using the normal black powder rules, mm-hmm. um, just straight off, really. Um, uh, you can either just change uh, inches to centimetres, mm-hmm. any ranges, or the alternative is halve everything. So half all the ranges, sense. half the movements. And you can cheerfully just play, you know, like that. Um, it, there is a modified rule book inside the, uh, the the main game, big game. And mm-hmm. we will be selling that separately going forward. Brilliant. They will be able to pick that up separately. But really, you can play it just very cheerfully using the existing rule book. Yeah, exactly. I, I have the feeling that this person will probably also be picking up the uh, the smaller other version as well because they're uh, very excited. But they, oh, they were wondering. Nope, they should be just fine. Brilliant. Well, as we're talking about future releases, John, I would be in a lot of trouble from people listening to this show if I didn't ask about some of Warlord's other fantastic games um, because you guys have quite the pantheon of games behind you. Now, I know Project Z is a game you guys used to sell a while back, and I know it's on its way back. It is all over your preview pages. Um, I still have some of the plastics from before, as I said, that I've been using for um, the models that I've been working on for the last, during lockdown, the last year, and I'm very excited to see that they're coming back because I'm running low. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the the upcoming Project Z game? Is it a reprint? Because I knew it was popular before. Uh, and I know that people enjoyed playing it, and a lot of people love zombie games. Who doesn't like zombies? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's one we haven't had out for three years. It's been uh, it's been quite dormant, and the sales guy said we still get asked for it a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, okay, okay, if you say so. So we've d- done a run a few thousand of this this game and it's kind of once it's gone it's gone um because mm-hmm. uh, if we ever do it again we'll change the rules or change the content so uh, um what we have added is we've added uh, i think we've added a, a hummer some sort of vehicle in you the resin i think that that's come out i think mm-hmm. that, that wasn't there before uh my favorite models in there are still the biker gang which right? is just fantastic mm-hmm. it's just just who doesn't want that it's just great but as you say, you can mix and match any of uh, our other ranges and our modern soldiers and, you know, World War II soldiers and, you know, zombies and zombie, right? Pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't think we're going to do any additions to it. Just just adding the resin Hummer as, 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 is, is all that I think we're going to do. And um, and it's a nice self-contained game. Uh, it is. We've got some nice scenery bits from Skytrex because we, we mm-hmm. own a company called Skytrex now. And they've done a nice range of their terrain or dumpsters and... Uh, skip or what you call a skip in england or dumpsters and mm-hmm. garbage cans and uh, barrels and stuff so some good terrain to add to it everything you want between you and the zombie hordes yeah yeah i mean so one of our staff was saying the other day saying i have a staff meeting every week where mm-hmm. i get uh, two, two or three people from all around the business and my finance director and me uh, have some sandwiches and coca-cola and have a chat to them um it's just get to know, to know them really. And uh, one of the casters said, "Do you know what we should do in Epic?" And I said, "I don't know what should we do." He said, "A zombie game." And I thought, "Well, that's really weird." I thought, "Nah." And then I thought, well, "Yeah, maybe." That's not a bad idea. That's not, I'm thinking yeah. hordes of zombies coming down the road. I don't know in in London or Melbourne or mm-hmm. New York, and you can have some iconic statues there and say, "Oh, they've taken that," you know, and red buses being overwhelmed by zombies and. Uh, 
oh, tanks and armored cars and helicopters. And pretty soon you think, actually, it's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, this is like, what is that? Uh, world War Z. It's almost like um, the world's been taken over by zombies. Yes. And the, yeah. Ooh, yes. the more you say that, I, I think, John. Mm. And it, I think it's quite a nice idea and because you could you could just do that trick of moving it around the world, you know, then mm -hmm. Paris, you know, and, and, and I could be really cool. I think, uh, yeah, I, I could see that. Absolutely. That is a, mm, that's a good one. I like that. Mm. Well, some really good scenarios, you know, of having to get from here to there, you know, using the, using the underground and the sewers and the bridges and the rivers and et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I, there could be a lot of legs in that. That's a, mm, I like this. I like this a lot. All right, let's jump from the hypothetical to mm -hmm. the, the question that I will literally get mugged if I don't ask. Bolt Action. Bolt Action's a big game for you guys. The Soft Underbelly book has just come out. Uh, we just did the Warlord Games official podcast episode speaking to Rob Vela, the author, which was great if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. The book is so dense that we talked for two hours and we basically skimmed the surface. There is just so much great content in there. I know that that is book one of the Italian campaign. There is more coming. I mean, it says it very explicitly in the uh, introduction of the Soft Underbelly book. So we're going to get the next edition coming at some point. But I'm assuming there is plenty more in the kitty. I know you guys have just put out some fantastic new Italian armored cars and light tanks um, that you can use for the soft underbelly or for other campaigns in the desert, for example. Anything else for bolt action that you would like to tease that uh, fans might be interested in? Yeah, I, I, I can. That's easy. Um, talking about those plastic Italians, we've got two more plastic italian box sets to come out that'll be the alpini and the bersaglieri brilliant which will be exciting and then we're just putting out this week uh uh i can't do the italian pronunciation uh basically but they're redoing their paratroopers who look rock hard with their support weapons mm -hmm. and then assault pioneers which is um there's a there's a box i think you get seven models in it but uh there's two flamethrower teams in there and, they, and they're wearing protective clothing, and they look really sinister. And uh, the Italians used a lot of flamethrowers. Yeah, uh, and the, they, they were officially, stuff. if you do the uh, translation, I think they're not just engineers or pioneers. They're, I think they're engineer destroyers is the title. Like, yes, that's assault, assault engineers. They're pretty unpleasant guys yeah. to come across. So they're, they're coming out this week, and uh, I think people are going to field a lot of those. Now, the Italian army hasn't always been everybody's mm. army of choice, mm. uh, but... Uh, the models look fantastic for a start. For instance, we've also got some uh, colonial troops coming out for them. These uh, guys wearing fezes who mm -hmm. look fantastic, carrying enormous knives. I mean, you think Gurkha knives are big mm -hmm. and unpleasant. Well, these guys frighten the willies out of you. Uh, so we've got those to come out as well. And um, um, so the Italian army is probably the most flexible of anybody because. The poor devils, they were fighting from 1936 you know, in uh, mm -hmm. the Horn of Africa all the way through them. Of course, they went into Albania and uh, they were in Yugoslavia, in Greece, in the south of France, uh, then into Russia, of course, with a huge expeditionary force into Russia, which people forget they were mm -hmm. there. You know, they, they lost tens of thousands of poor devils. Then the Western Desert, of course, Libya mm -hmm. and Egypt, uh, then all the way into Italy. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, um, 
Then they swapped sides and then started fighting the Germans and the fascist Italians. So they're incredibly flexible as, a, as an army. And uh, I, I read the other day, it was during the Normandy campaign, um, there were 40,000 Italians in France, 40,000 uh, garrisoning uh, various coastal towns. Really? I mean, 40,000 is a lot of people. You know, yeah. that's, you know, three, there's three divisions worth. Uh, and because, of course, Italy had surrendered and they were in France and they didn't know what to do. It's either you stay with us or we're going to arrest you. You know, so what do you got to do? So so they fought, fought, carried on fighting for the Germans. Were they wearing German kit or were they wearing Italian? No, Italian, Italian kit. Oh, brilliant. What a great modeling well, opportunity, right? Yeah. It's one of those. I, well, I, yeah, I came across it when I was reading. Um, um, What's his name? Lord Lovett, who who led the commandos. Mm-hmm. I was reading his autobiography, and he he said they stormed across and took an Italian battery. And I thought Italian, what's he on about? I think mm-hmm. Italian battery. And I thought, well, maybe he means they were Germans using Italian guns, you know, captured uh, captured guns. Huh. He said then we took some Germans, and then we took some more Italians and sent them back. So I'm thinking, oh, he does mean Italian, and obviously he's an educated man. He'll know he'll know an Italian when he sees one mm-hmm. and hear them. So I just did a bit of Googling and then, yeah, there were you know, these tens of thousands of Italians uh, fighting in France against the Allies. It's fascinating. It is. I mean, you read stories about, um, what was it? Uh, was it J- uh, Japanese POWs who ended up fighting on like four continents and ended up oh, surrendering yes, those... in, yes, uh, yes. in Normandy Ending or something? Yeah, yeah yes. exactly. Unfortunate people. Just let me go home. Just want, poor devils. Please stop putting me in other people's armies. I just want to oh, stop. Oh, it is the poor, the poor average man. It's a, it's a wicked story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I know the one, exactly the ones you mean. Yep. So yeah, so there's lots for the, uh, the second book. Will be all Monte Cassino and uh, all that you know, all that tough fighting up there. Oh, I can't be. wait for that. Monte Cassino Amazing. is one of the is one of those iconic conflicts in World War II that I find absolutely captivating. I've read so many books on it, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. I've been waiting, and I can't wait. I know that there are some great Monte Cassino bits and pieces slash scenarios and units that fought there sprinkled throughout a variety of theater books that are already out for bolt action. But to have the new campaign book that will dig into that in particular, I can't wait. It's going to be brilliant. Well, I want to... From the Allied side, as you say, it was a complete, uh, complete mixture of every Allied right. unit you could imagine a nationality. The Moroccans, are there even mm-hmm. Brazilians were there, for God's sake. The Brazilian <laughs> army was That's fighting right. there. The Poles and the Aussies and the Gurkhas and the Indians and the, oh, you name it. The Yanks, obviously. Mm-hmm. Everybody was there. Everybody was there. Yeah, and I, I love that everyone thought it would be a great idea. Let's let's bomb let's let's bomb it out, and then clearly everyone will surrender, and that just made the Falschmeager harder to dig out, and that just oh, turned yes, it into a an absolutely brutal conflict. Oh, absolutely shocking! And uh, so there's there's all of that to do. Um, in plastics coming up, we've got some. The SDK said 250, the you know, the small, the short Hanamag, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, five varieties of that coming out anytime now in plastic. Oh, wow. So, including the command version and one with a turret, and, uh, and they look beautiful, beautiful little things. And uh, so, those are exciting. And then a, a nice British, I think a Daimler armored car, one with a turret. Mm-hmm. That's nice. And finally, uh, the 222 armored car as well, the little German armored car. 
I've got that on the way. So and some nice plastic kits still coming along. Nice. Yeah, the 222 is one of my favorites. I have four. I might need a couple more. Here's the thing. I was chatting to one of my salesmen uh, yesterday, and he said, over the last five years, Johnny, what's the best-selling plastic kit we've done for, for bolt action? And I said, hmm. and he just threw it at me. And, uh, and uh, that would be a good quiz question for you, but, uh, but I'll tell you the answer anyway. It, it is the Opal Blitz. Is it? Yes, we sold more Opal Blitzes than any other thing, which is mad. That is mad. I would have guessed the yeah. Panzer IV or... Panzer IV or Hanamag. Yeah. I, was, I said Hanamag. Hanamag was number two. But no, it was Opal Blitz. Who would have thunk it? Well, trucks are super popular in bolt action. They they happen to yes. be quite good in the rules, and they are so iconic to have those mechanized units in World War II. It makes sense. And the Germans are the most popular, uh, you know, army that you're going to be, that you guys sell is in bolt action. Uh, so I guess that makes sense, but. Makes, yeah, still. Still, uh, I wouldn't have picked that. Oh, what do you know? No, makes me wonder whether we could do a, a Bedford three-tonner for the British, you know, a, mm -hmm. a British truck. Or a Lancia 3RO for uh, for the Italians. But, the Italians, uh, yeah. I may be an Italian player myself, but uh, just <laughs> shh, don't tell anyone. So bolt action aside then, the Midway box for Blood Red Skies is out. People are playing it. People are loving it. I've spoken to uh, one of the guys from the um, Lead Pursuit podcast recently about that, and it's, it's a fantastic box. And I know you guys are continuing to support Blood Red Skies. You got to be excited about all of the Pacific uh, plane conflict that's been going on on the tabletop since that's been coming out. Yeah, um, I've been really pleased at how well detailed the models are too. Because mm. we're using a using our new resin process, and we're getting we're putting the American planes out in navy blue, and the um, Japanese planes in would it be navy white but certainly in white yeah. for the japanese and they both look lovely and mm. uh, so if you're a bit idle like most of us you don't actually have to paint them if you don't want to but a, a quick wash over them would make them look lovely i think and then yeah. put the transfers on and off you go um no they, those those look very beautiful and uh the thing that i liked the most was i think coming up i don't know how you get hold of it but we've done one of those giant Japanese flying boats. Uh, is it the Mavis or whatever? The, the, or Emily or Mavis, one of those huge mm -hmm. ones that they had. And that just looks fantastic. I mean, I don't know how you shoot the blooming things down. They're massive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the crew can just run around inside and dodge the bullets. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, yeah, it's the Emily. I think it's the Emily. But it, that looks great. So keep an eye out for that coming out soon. Brilliant. If we're going to talk Blood Red Skies, that, of course, is one of the projects that you brought Andy Chambers in to work on. But if we're going to talk Andy Chambers, we got to talk 2000 AD. Now, of course, we started with Strontium Dog. Then we went to Dread. Now we're going a little bit further back in history, quote unquote, into the comic world. And we are going to get to Slain. Now that is coming mm. out soon. Yeah. Yeah, I've just, I've just been in the factory looking at the models coming out. Uh, they're all going to be in Warlord resin, mm -hmm. which really captures the detail really nicely. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, as a teenager, when I was reading 2000 AD, I used to skip over Slain a bit. I, I found it so wacky. Mm -hmm. It was so crazy, the writers and the, the thing. 
but the models we made of the of the baddies if you like are just fantastic they're they're very exciting models and even if you're a, let's say you're a 35 year old guy now and you've never heard of slain because you know that was before your time you're going to love the models because they're just classic beautiful fantasy models which yeah. are just for painters and collectors really i mean um yes there's a great game around it and it's a good fun game but uh well, you don't need a whole lot of models, you know, it's a skirmish type game. But I think it will appeal to just the painters and figure collectors around the world. Well, we are going to be speaking to Andy about that game shortly. Oh, great. Uh, and hopefully great. Paul Sawyer himself uh, to talk about well, that Paul's, range as well. Paul's a mighty slain fan, so that's good. Yeah, I was going to say, he knows a lot more about it than I do. I was, uh, like you with 2000 AD, I tended to skip to Dread. Uh, and I did read a lot of yeah. it, so yeah. Default to dread. <laughs> <laughs> He's am, so good, it, right? Uh, um, I and it, I have to say, I really enjoyed playing in in some of the breaks from lockdown last year. I was able to get a couple of good uh, games in of dread using uh, urban terrain that I had built up for bolt action, actually, but happened to, you know, throw a couple of pseudo modern vehicles in there and a couple of science fiction-y bits and pieces and a couple mm -hmm. neon signs. And all of a sudden it's a, it's a ruined street, no problem. And uh, yeah, played a couple of great games and it really did bring 2000 AD to life. Uh, and having those star chits where, uh, you know, characters were able to do the extra, those little extra actions made it so cinematic and such a fun yes. experience on the tabletop. It was great. Yeah, I'm, it's, uh, I'm impressed at how people have gone to town making terrain for it. You mm -hmm. know, quite a lot of people have put in inverted commas real uh, flashing neon signs and things like that. Because mm -hmm. it just makes it, and sound effects, even some you know, crazy people, you know, it's just mm -hmm. great. And it, it does bring it to life. Cinematic is, is the word you used, and you're right. Yeah, it's so good. Well, John, anything else that you were excited about going forward, knowing that Warlord has its fingers in many pies? What else can we look forward to? Because there's some great stuff in the pipe I hear, but I don't know exactly what it is to ask you. Well, uh, as you know, I always, uh, I always blab. I can't help myself. Um, and we love um, you for it. Uh, we've got a supplement for um, Black Seas coming out called Hold Fast, um, which is written by um, Gabriel, again, the guy who wrote it, mm -hmm. the first one. And that's dealing with, uh, um, I shouldn't somewhat unfairly call them the, the lesser nations, shall we say, and the wackier nations. Uh, so I think there's lots, you'll find lots of... Uh, pirate actions and corsairs and uh, all that sort of nonsense uh, in there and he's very excited about that uh, um, uh, so that's going to come out shortly uh, what else is coming out uh, look I, i'm just going to say quietly i'm more than a little excited about having pirates in uh, black seas i do that's another game that i absolutely love and i'm hoping to play more of now the lockdowns have let up um i got a beautiful ocean mat from you guys and it really does make the just when you when you put the ships down and it's on that beautiful ocean mat and you have the 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 tufts of um the little fuzz to let them to show the cannons firing my god does well, the, it look good on the tabletop the, the fire ships really uh, i thought were fantastic the yes. fire ships we do they look 
truly amazing. So yeah, that's that's going to be a that's going to be a nice hit, I think. Um, um, obviously, lots more stuff for uh, Waterloo, which I've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think we're going to back um, earlier when I opened this this um, this podcast. Uh, I was talking about how we just did the one mold for the American Civil War. Yeah. Well, we're going to go back and uh, and and do the cavalry and dismounted cavalry in plastic. Brilliant. So people can really be able to uh, flesh out their. Uh, like cavalry regiments. Oh, that's so, yeah. fantastic. So we'll, so we'll redo that. Great. Well, John, I hate to say it. I think our time is up. It is a shame because it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, you always give us the best toys to talk about and to, to look forward to. Thank you so much for taking the time. And as always, thank you as proxy for Warlord Games for making these great games for us to enjoy and to play. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure chatting to you and uh, all your listeners, as always. Let's uh, stay safe for the last next few months, and then we'll be through into clear blue water and on. That's right. Well, guys, uh, we've had a lot since the last episode of the Soft Underbelly. There have been quite a few people messaging the page saying thank you for coming back. I know we took a little bit of a hiatus at the end of 2021. The Warlord cast is back. We will be back with Andy Chambers soon. Uh, I should probably message him to say that. But if you have feedback for the show, uh, you can go to the podcast network that this show is on, which is called Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you go to that on Facebook and you message that page, you're guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. Just remember, it might take a couple of hours for me to get to you. I am based in Australia, and I do occasionally sleep. So... The rest of the time, though, you are guaranteed a reply. And thank you again to everyone who's reached out. It has been wonderful to uh, to kick off the Warlord cast again in 2022 and to look forward to another great year of Warlord content. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next time. Good night.